together as our scripture reading, we will use the word, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Uh, Jesus was asked, Lord, teach us how to pray, and he taught his disciples to pray this way. Say it with me, please. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, these are the words you taught your disciples to pray thousands of years ago. And here we are today, your followers seeking you to teach us again. And so we pray now that you will send Holy Spirit to us in a special way during this time. May he come, may he fill every heart in this room, may every heart be tender to your word, receptive to your word, eager to know you, eager to be set free by your word. And as you do this, we will give you the praise, we will honor you for it all. Amen. I want you to ask yourself a question. When do people pray? Well, I suspect in a group this size, we have people that are at one end of the spectrum and on the other end of the spectrum in their relationship with Christ and what they believe about Jesus. But I think the answer is going to be the same. You may be a person that does not even know why anyone would even think about following Christ, or you may be somebody who's been a Christian for decades and you're following him and you're really into it and you're driving your life in service to him. But no matter where you are on that spectrum, I think we all know the answer. People pray when big things, important things are happening in their lives. Now maybe it's something you need desperately. Your child may be seriously ill. Your family may be falling apart. The unthinkable is happening and it's going to be devastating to your life, and even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you might find yourself whispering a little prayer, hey, if there's anybody up there, I need some help. And then when something good happens, even an unbeliever will many times, if it's fantastic, they'll look up in the sky, you see it even in movies, and they'll say, thank you. And of course, followers of Jesus, they know that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father and so when good things, big good things happen, we give thanks to God. But now here's the reality. You can go through a whole day and never pray. In fact, that's a common experience for many of us. Maybe you're the kind of Christian who lies down on the bed at night and you put your head on the pillow and you realize, whoops, I haven't prayed all day. So you say, Lord, please bless. I mean, it's, it's a great sedative to start praying in bed if you ever want to go to sleep, that's one way to do it. Uh, we just read and recited with each other the Lord's Prayer, which is a time when Jesus is asked, teach us how to pray. But I think you can understand what I'm about to say, and that is Jesus is not just teaching us how to pray, he's teaching us what's important to him. And no matter where you are, in your spiritual walk, whether you're far from following Christ or you're near to following Christ, I think everyone in here 
deserves to take a moment or two to ask, you know, this man Jesus, how wonderful he was, how important he is in the history of the world. What was important to him? What was at the top of the list? And I suspect that most of us can find what's important in our lives somewhere in that prayer. Now, let's be truthful. I would think also that most of us would have to admit that we find ourselves focusing on and finding really important in our lives, sort of the centerpiece of our lives, the things that you find in the bottom half of the Lord's Prayer. You know how it goes. Give us this day our daily bread. Please take care of me, God. I need your help. Forgive us our debts. Lord, I've done it again. Please forgive me. Lead us not into temptation. Lord, the temptations of the world, the troubles of the world, the trials of the world are just too great. I need help from you. This is where most of us live our lives. In that second half, the bottom half of the Lord's Prayer. But I want to remind you, there's a top half. You know, it's the part you sort of mumble through until you get to something that means something to you. Give us this day our daily bread. So I want to remind you of what's at, in the top half of the Lord's Prayer because it sets the stage. It forms the goal. It's the purpose for which we have the bottom half of the Lord's Prayer that seems to be more important to us. And you know how it goes. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you want to know what was important to Jesus? You just heard it. <coughs> Unfortunately, we're all very unfamiliar with that top half of the Lord's Prayer because we gravitate toward the bottom issues. And so it's worthwhile to take just a few minutes at a time when this church is reflecting on the mission of the church to look into what Jesus said there in the top half, to unpack it just a little bit. So let's start with the beginning, what he had to say about God. Our Father. Those are precious words to people who follow Jesus because it reminds us that the one who made everything, the one who sustains everything, the one who holds the whole of creation together can be your personal spiritual father. That he can know your name. That he can love you. That he can care about the things you care about. That he can want good for you. That he can bring about good for you. That you're not lost in among the billions and billions of people that live in this world. If God, through your faith in Jesus, has become your father, he knows you by name. God, our father, that's a very precious thing. But I think you also know that when you go to churches or you find yourself always thinking about God as the Father, God as the Father, as good and as wholesome and wonderful as that is, it isn't long if that's the way you normally think about God, that rather than being our Father in heaven, what we discover is that God becomes a lot more like a sweet granddaddy to us. You see it in literature, you see it in movies, you see it 
all around us that people think that God is like a sweet granddaddy. And you know what that means. God's sitting up in heaven. He's rocking back and forth in his celestial rocking chair. And he's wringing his hands like this. And he's saying to himself, Oh, I wish my children on the earth would just pay more attention to me because if they wouldn't pay more attention to me, I would make them all very happy. After all, I exist to make them happy. Every grandfather in this room knows that when you have young grandchildren, you have one top priority in life, and it is for your grandchildren to love you. They're the most important thing in the world when they're tiny and little. Now, men, they grow up to be teenagers too. But when they're young, they are the thrill. And I know every wife in here wondered, what happened to my husband? All of a sudden, he's interested in little kids and babies. It's weird. But that's what happens to us. And so, like me, most of you, when your grandchildren were around and they were very young, you made it a practice to bring gifts to them. In fact, you might even take them to the toy store. They wanted one of them, you get them two. They wanted two, you get them three. They get one of the little one, you get them a big one. It would be great. More is better. Bigger is greater. And why is that? Because you want your grandchildren salivating like Pavlov's dogs when you walk into the room. Pops is here. <laughs> oh, how wonderful. So we know what it is to be a sweet granddaddy rocking in his rocking chair looking at his children because everything in his life is all about getting people to like him. This is not what Jesus had in mind when he said pray our royal Father enthroned in heaven, may your name be kept holy. On the contrary, that's not what he said. We get the first clue from the fact that he doesn't just say pray our Father. He says pray our Father in heaven. And every time you look in the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament or the New Testament, and you see a picture of heaven, it's the same picture. Heaven is the throne room of God. It's where God sits on a throne and the blinding radiance of his glory fills the throne room. The river of fire pours out from beneath his feet. There are thousands upon thousands of creatures who are crying out before the one on the throne saying, holy, holy, holy. That's why Jesus said, our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. That's the picture. That was at the top of the list. That's what he wanted his disciples to understand was the most important thing to him and what he wanted them to have as most important in their lives. And I can tell you this, today he wants that to be the most important thing in your life too. And what is it? That God is our king You might be surprised to know this, but in the days of the Bible, both Old Testament days and New Testament, in Israel, outside of Israel, it was very common to call human kings your father. So this is what Jesus is saying. Our royal father, enthroned in heaven, may your name be kept holy. And the reason Jesus put that at the top of the list it's because that is the most prevalent, the most prominent, the most pervasive way that the Bible describes God to us. He is our king. And if you're an American, 
looking around the room, I think most of us are, or if you've been deeply influenced by American culture, we do not have a clue what that might mean. Because we have never lived under the authority of a king. We don't know. We have nothing in our lives that corresponds to this idea. We don't have any idea what it would mean for someone to hold our lives and our deaths in his hands. I come from the state of Virginia, and we have the best state flag in the Union. I can tell you that. I don't know this Alabama flag. I don't get it. Okay? But so let me tell you about this Virginia state flag. If you want to Google it while we're sitting here, go for it. Just to verify, I need an amen from somebody that I'm telling the truth here. Here's the picture, okay? Here's the Virginia state flag. It's so beautiful you wouldn't believe it. It has a nice, solid blue satin background. And in the middle is a circle. It's very simple. Solid blue satin background, in the middle, a circle. Most people know that much about the Virginia flag but they don't know what's inside the circle, so let me describe it to you because it reveals what Virginians are like and it, and it reveals what you are like. You ready? Here's the picture. It's a picture of a man lying dead on his back on the ground. And next to him is a crown that has fallen off of his head. He's a dead king. And standing over this dead king is a woman with a spear in her hand, the sword of the king that she has taken from him, a spear in her hand, and her foot on the chest of this dead king. You got the picture here? A woman standing over a dead king with her foot on his chest. And written inside that circle or around the circle somewhere are these words in Latin. Sic semper tyrannis, thus always to tyrants. You got the message? We will not have a king in the state of Virginia. And if somebody tries to become our king, we know exactly what to do. We send our women after them, and they take care of it. <laughs> what, that's not it? You got the idea, don't you? We will not have kings rule over us in the United States of America because we know that when you give that kind of power to a human being, that human being becomes a tyrant, and we're done with that. Okay, I don't know how to say this in any way but just to tell the truth. When you live in a country where the government is of the people, by the people, and for the people, it isn't long before you have religion that is of the people, by the people, and for the people. Your Christianity is all about making you happy. Remember, he's your sweet granddaddy. Your Christianity is about making your life better. But what we understand, however, is that when we begin to understand what a king is like, then we understand that kings, it's why we don't like human kings, they have these weird ideas, like their agenda is more important than yours, that their glory is more important than your glory, that their happiness is more significant than yours that you ought to be happy to live for their purposes. You ought to be happy to die for their purposes. That's why you don't want a human king around. But it's precisely why Jesus says to his disciples, pray this way, our royal father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. 
Brothers and sisters, in Christ, don't you know that he gives you every breath that you take? Don't you know that he has given you every hope of salvation that you have? Don't you know that he is your king and that he owns you every moment of every day, lock, stock, and barrel? This is where our faith begins, with a holy royal father in heaven. And this, of course, is where the mission of the church begins. Because our God has put his people on mission. Our God has a plan. He has an agenda. He has a purpose. And he calls to his people by the mouth of Jesus, follow me as your king. I am not your granddaddy. I am your king. This is a Presbyterian church, if you didn't know it. One of the things that Presbyterians love to say is, everything is for God's glory. Yeah, that's what, God, that's what Jesus is talking about. We got that part. We understand that the glory of God is number one. He's the king to be glorified by all. But sometimes we miss the way in which God plans to be glorified in this world. And that is exactly what Jesus talks about next. Our royal father enthroned in heaven, may your name be kept holy. You know what's next. May your kingdom come. You see, I told you he's thinking of God as king. Our Father, may your kingdom come. Now that's an old-fashioned expression that Christians used to use a lot. They would talk about when the kingdom comes. Maybe some of you have parents or grandparents that use that expression a lot. I I don't hear it much anymore, but I had a grandmother who used it a lot. Every time the grandchildren would go for Thanksgiving or Christmas meal with her, it was always very fancy and very wonderful. We would eat, then we'd go outside and play, and of course in a few minutes we'd get a little bit hungry, and so we'd come running back into the kitchen, and we'd say, Mama, can we have some more ice cream? Mama, can we have another piece of pie? And I can remember one time her folding the dish towel that she was using to wash all the dishes while we were ignoring her and playing, turning around and looking at us and said, sure, you can have more pie when the kingdom comes. So I learned around four years old that the coming of the kingdom meant no. Never. Get out of here. You're bothering me. Maybe someday in the distant future when you're like old or something, maybe. So yeah, it's an expression that we use. The kingdom coming. But what does it mean? Well, Jesus tells his disciples right away, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. And that makes sense to me. I mean, what kind of king would he be if he was not being obeyed by his subjects? If his will was not being done. But Jesus, where does the royal father want that to happen? Now be careful, because Jesus is about to turn your religion upside down. Are you ready for that to happen to you? Here it comes. Jesus, 
Where does the royal father want his will to be obeyed? May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's just the opposite of the way many of us think. Because when we first became followers of Jesus, most of us heard someone tell us that if you will trust in Christ, when you die, you will go to heaven and you will have this wondrous, glorious existence up in heaven with Jesus and it'll be great. And let me just tell you something. Um, If you do come to Jesus and you put your faith in him, you will be guaranteed that when you die, you will go to heaven to be with him and it will be glorious. You will be so glad that you chose to follow him. So there's truth in that. There's truth that heaven is a great place to want to go to and that when we die, we will go there. But heaven is not the goal. It's just a step along the way toward a much greater goal that Jesus expresses right here in the Lord's Prayer. And what is it? May your kingdom come, may your will be done on the earth as it's already being done in the throne room of heaven. Heaven is not the goal that Jesus sets before his disciples. Heaven is the standard for what is to take place here. So, what does the Bible say about the way God's will is done in that heavenly courtroom? Well, when you read the Old Testament passages and the New Testament passages that describe what goes on in that throne room, you discover something. Every creature there does exactly what the one on the throne says to do. You would too if you were before the blinding radiance of the glory of God. You wouldn't even think about doing something different. Even Satan listens to God and obeys him when he is in the throne room. Now when he leaves, he's like you and me. He does what he wants to do. But not there. So every creature in that throne room is faithfully obedient to the king on the throne. And this is what Jesus gives to his disciples. His vision, his dream, his goal. And it is this that what is true in heaven now will be true on the earth one day. So some of you may wonder, why in the world would a church talk about the things we have sung about and the things we have talked about this whole weekend of making sure that men, women, and children around the world hear about Jesus? Why would we do that? Why do we take a whole weekend to bring people from different countries and different places of ministries and highlight them? And then how dare they ask us to contribute money and support to such things and to pray for such things? Why would they do that? This is the answer. Jesus says, at the top of the list is the honor and glory of God, the royal Father in heaven. But the royal Father in heaven has a purpose for the history of this world. And what is that purpose? That his kingdom will come to earth as it is in heaven. And he tells his followers, seek first the kingdom of God. This is our goal. This is our purpose. It is why we breathe.
please give up on the myth that one day when you die, St. Peter will hand you a gigantic golden harp and tell you to sit over in a choir loft and start playing that harp forever and forever and forever and forever. I hate to tell you this, but have you ever been in a choir? If you've been in a choir and you think about being in that choir and playing a harp forever and ever, it doesn't sound much like heaven. It sounds more like the other side. Now, I could do it for 10,000 years. I could do that. But forever is a lot longer than 10,000 years. But here's the story of the Bible. And Jesus knew it well. From the beginning in the book of Genesis until the end in the book of Revelation, God has this purpose for history that the earth will be turned into his kingdom and that Jesus will reign over that earthly kingdom and he will invite all who have followed him to come and rule over the new earth with him. Nothing less than that is worthy of our King Jesus. And nothing less of that is worthy of you as a follower of King Jesus. You have been ordained to glorify God and enjoy Him forever in what the Bible calls the new heavens and the new earth. I guess you've probably heard the expression that's popular these days called the bucket list. You heard that before? There was a movie about that. It's, if you don't know it, it's basically this. It's sort of a list of the things you want to do in this world before you die because you're never going to have another chance to do those things. So, you know, I want to go to Paris before I die. I want to do this before I die. I want to jump out of an airplane before I die. I want to do this before I die. You get a long list of these things, and you go around in your retirement years trying to pull it off, <laughs> trying to pull all those magnificent things off that you could have done when you were 20, but you can't do when you're 75. But you try it nevertheless, okay? It's your bucket list. After all, you only live once. After all, it's your last chance to grab the gusto of living on this earth because the best you can hope for is that one day you might drift off into the clouds and play a golden harp forever and have celestial dope that you can have to make you think that's good and happy. Let me tell you about your bucket list. If for the sake of the kingdom of God spreading throughout this earth. You do not fulfill your bucket list. Just wait until you get to see the things that you will do in the world to come. If for the sake of the kingdom of God, you don't buy that next bigger house because you've got enough money to buy it and instead you devote yourself to the kingdom of God, just wait until you see the mansions of glory that will be yours in the world to come. If for the sake of the kingdom of God, you don't get to see Paris in this life, just wait until you see the city of God in the world to come. If for the sake of the kingdom, you give up on that illegitimate relationship that's a part of your life now, just wait until you see the fellowship and the friendship and the intimacy you will have with your fellow brothers and sisters in the world to come. Those who give up life in this world will lose nothing. They will gain hundredfold in this life and in the world to come, Jesus said. 
The kingdom of God, bringing it to earth as it is in heaven, requires sacrifice. It has always required sacrifice. Jesus had to give his whole life. He had to die on a cross to bring it about. His apostles all died as martyrs serving him and spreading that kingdom in their day. And generation after generation after generation of Christians have laid their lives down to see the kingdom of God move forward because the kingdom of God on this earth never moves forward with great power and great strength of the Holy Spirit unless his people are living sacrificially for the kingdom. But if you sacrifice your happiness, if you sacrifice your comfort, if you sacrifice your security in your later years for the sake of the kingdom of God, you will lose nothing. You will gain it all. What more could you possibly want than to live in this momentary life that passes like that and then enjoy the wonders of this creation forever. I mean, even now, at this time in our world, you can get up in the morning, you can see a sunrise, and you can say, it's breathtaking, it's so beautiful. You can hear a concert and go, I just, I've never heard anything as beautiful as that. You can have all kinds of moments of joy. Your firstborn child, remember that experience? How wonderful it was? The first time you fell in love? Do you remember the ecstasy you can feel moment to moment to moment in a world that is full of sin, full of darkness, full of injustice, full of pain, full of suffering, and full of death? Well, imagine this world made new by the hands of Jesus. Imagine this world made new by the Lord of life. A world where there is no sickness, where there is no pain, where there is no shame for anything you have ever done. Nothing but the glory of God lighting up the sky and you with your brothers and sisters in Christ enjoying the kingdom of God forever. That is what Jesus came to this earth to do. That is why we are on mission. And that is why our mission will not fail. I'm happy to report that in our day, although it appears that evangelical Christianity is suffering in this country, and it is, and shrinking in this country, and it is, that there are more people today who follow Jesus than ever in the history of the world. And that the church of Jesus is growing in more places in the world than it has ever grown before. Our King Jesus did not tell us to pray this prayer in vain. He told us to pray for the kingdom to come because it will come. And so, why is it that you should pray for your daily bread? the bottom half of the Lord's Prayer. Just so you can not be hungry? No. It's so you can be equipped to serve the King of glory and His kingdom. Why should you pray for forgiveness? Just so you can get the burdens off of your shoulders? No. It's so that you can be a servant of the King and His kingdom 
And why should you pray for deliverance from temptation? So that you won't be troubled anymore? No, it's so you can be equipped to serve the king of heaven and earth and spread his kingdom throughout the world. When do people pray? When big things are happening. And these are the big things that Jesus told us to pray for. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we delight in you and we bless you. We honor you for these holy words that you have given to us. But Holy Spirit, we need you to write these words in our hearts because our natural inclination is to live for ourselves and to live for the fleeting pleasures of this world and to give up on the joys of the world to come. And so we pray that our eyes will be lifted up to the Father as our King. We pray that our hearts will be devoted to seeking first His kingdom in this world at whatever cost. For your namesake and for your glory. Amen.